Hoo-hoo-hoo. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Malamo. You can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, anywhere, at Tommy Tahoe, very active. Give me a follow, give me a shout. Um, so why are we here? The whole purpose of this show is to help you and me get to the next level of where we want to be, uh, whether that's financially, in our relationships, in our jobs, uh, you know, with our faith, with our bodies, with our health, with our wellness. Um, you know, I think you need three things to get to that next level, right? You need a relentless work ethic. You need a positive growth mindset attitude. You need a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy. And so I'm hoping that this show and what I produce can help be that spark that forward momentum, that little push that you need to get the ball rolling. I hope it does that for me as well. Um, So thanks for joining. If you find value in the show, just go over to iTunes. Please subscribe. Leave a quick review. It takes two minutes. Uh, I do this all for free. I've never made a dime on it. Over 100 episodes. And um, do it outside of my full-time job in sales. So we're doing this at you know 6.32 in the morning um, on Thursday, on Valentine's Day. Um, so thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Um, without further ado, this is just me today. No interview. And I want to get into a book and this is probably the book that has influenced my life the most. It's top three for sure. Um, and it's, it's John Wooden's blue book. If you're not familiar with John Wooden, uh, go look him up. He's the most successful coach, basketball coach of all time. Um, he, he was all over the place until he, you know, what he's known for is coaching men's college basketball at UCLA, um, where he won 10 championships in 12 years. Um, no one has even come close to that. They almost won eight in a row. Um, and I just want to get into, you know, this book is just full of his, filled with his maxims of life. You know, he's a family man. He's a faith-filled man. Um, Talking about leadership itself, how he leads, talking about team building, you know, how do how does a team become excellent? How do they reach their full potential? Um, and then, you know, kind of pulling it all together and being a successful human being. So I just want to get into this and, and kick it off with an intro that uh, kicks off the book. <clears throat> John Wooden is the greatest basketball coach of all time. But what I learned from him had much more to do with living life than with playing ball. The skills he taught us on the court, teamwork, personal excellence, discipline, dedication, focus, organization, and leadership are the same tools that you need in the real world. Coach showed us how these skills are transferable. He wasn't just teaching us about basketball, he was teaching us about life. John Wooden taught us to focus on one primary objective. Be the best you can be in whatever endeavor you undertake. Don't worry about the score. Don't worry about an image. Don't worry about the opponent. It sounds easy, but it's actually very difficult. Coach Wooden showed us how to accomplish it. Coach gained respect with a very simple method, by his personal example. He worked harder, longer, smarter, and was more dedicated, loyal, concerned, caring, detailed, meticulous, and enthusiastic than anyone I have ever worked with. John Wooden never had to tell you that he was the one in charge or get up and give rah-rah speeches to get your attention. He led by being himself. You saw how true he was to doing things right by thinking right. Coach Wooden was more interested in the process than in the result. This was very important to him. He really wanted things done correctly, and it started with the way he did things. 
You wanted to follow him in his example. For us, it all started with our practices at UCLA, which were nonstop action and absolutely electric, supercharged, on edge, crisp, and incredibly demanding, with Coach Wooden pacing up and down the sidelines like a caged tiger, barking out instructions, positive reinforcements, and appropriate maxims, like be quick but don't hurry. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Never make mistake activity for achievement. Discipline yourself and others won't need to. At the same time, he constantly moved us into in and out of minutely detailed drills, scrimmages, and patterns while exhorting us to move quickly, hurry up. It was wonderfully exhilarating and absolutely intense. In fact, games actually seem like they happen in a slower gear because of the pace at which we practice. We'd run a play perfectly in scrimmage and coach would say, okay, fine, reset, do it again, faster. We'd do it again, faster and again, faster and again. I'd often think during games, why is this taking so long? Because we had done everything that happened during a game thousands of times at a faster pace in practice. Coach Wooden wasn't one to casually throw around compliments. He expected you to be really good. Being really good wasn't something special. He assumed you'd be on top of things because that's the way he was. He didn't think you needed to be complimented for doing what was normal. However, as players, we knew we were rising to a greater level when we'd see that smile on his face. When four guys touched the ball in two seconds and the fifth guy hit a layup, man, what a feeling. When things really clicked, the joy of playing was reflected by the joy on his face. He created an environment where you expected to be your best and outscore the opponent, where capturing a championship and going undefeated was part of the normal course of events. Coach made the extraordinary seem normal. I can't describe how exciting it was to be a part of that, the joy he created in preparing for us, uh, preparing us for competition. Of course, the real competition he was preparing us for was life, even though I didn't realize that till much later. His lessons were invaluable to me when I started raising a family and pursuing other professional activities beyond basketball. After my father, Coach Wooden has had the most profound influence on me in, in, in my entire life. I was touched by Coach Wooden's greatness. He set a standard I have been trying to live up to ever since. He is as positive as you get. He taught us the values and characteristics that could make us not only good players, but also good people. He taught us how to be true to ourselves while also striving to be our best. Now I'm 44 years old, and I'm telling my four teenage sons what Coach Wooden used to tell his players. I'm even writing his, the, his maxims on their lunch bags and then listening to them complain about it, just like I used to complain. They'll see. My kids will learn. Soon enough, they'll come to understand and appreciate the great wisdom of a very wise man, Coach John Wooden. I have nothing but the greatest love and respect for Coach. Thank you for your sacrifice, gifts, and patience. That's the intro from Bill Walton, one of the few people to ever get named to both the college basketball and NBA Hall of Fame. And I think it speaks volumes. Uh, Walton and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, two of the, um, you know, the biggest names that, that John Wooden coached and were part of the dynasty that he created. Um, the rest of the book here is, is actually written by Wooden himself, but I think that's a, an accurate depiction of the way that he ran his team and he ran his life. And um, you know, he's coaching not for the championship, not for the basketball game, but so that you could be successful in life. And I think that's what the best leaders do. So let's get into it. This is from Coach Wooden in the book. When I graduated from our <clears throat> little three-room grade school in Centerton, Indiana, I got dressed up in clean overalls for the big event. For my graduation present, Dad gave me an old, wrinkled $2 bill that he'd probably been hanging on to for some time. 
He said, Johnny, as long as you have this, you'll never be broke. And he was pretty close to right. Eventually, I gave it to my own son, Jim. Dad also gave me something that day that would shape my entire life, my work, my marriage, my goals, my entire philosophy. It was a card which he had written a few guidelines. I still carry it with me. On one side was this verse by Reverend Henry Van Dyke. Four things a man must learn to do if he would, like, if he would make his life more true. To think without confusion clearly, to love his fellow man sincerely, to act from honest motives purely, to trust in, he- in God and heaven securely. The little verse was straightforward but profound. Think clearly, have love in your heart, be honest, and trust in God. On the other side of the paper, Dad had written out his creed. At the top of the paper, it said seven things to do. It read as follows. Number one, be true to yourself. Two, help others. Three, make each day your masterpiece. Four, drink deeply from good books, especially the Bible. Five, make friendship a fine art. Six, build a shelter against a rainy day. Seven, pray for guidance and count and give thanks for your blessings every day. All he said when he gave me the little note he had written was, Son, try to try and live up to these things. I wish I could say I lived up to them. I've tried. Over the years, as I've attempted to follow his creed, I've gave, gained a better understanding of it. Let me share what it means to you after all these years. And he gets into that a little bit. So, um, you know, his dad was a, a major influence on him as they were growing up and um, really thinking about, you know, just being really being a good person. Um, and we fast forward a little bit, um, a little bit to the book. He also says, you know, now I'm in my eighth decade and I'd like to be able to tell you I lived up to my dad's creed, but I'm more like the fellow who said, I'm not what I ought to be, not what I want to be, not what I'm going to be, but I'm thankful that I'm better than I used to be. So he's not where he wants to be. He's always striving for more. He's humble, um, but he's better than he used to be. He's always working to get better. Wooden talks about love and marriage um, in the first section of the book as well. On that, he says, you know, love means many things. It means giving. It means sharing. It means forgiving. It means understanding. It means being patient. It means learning. And you must always consider the other side, the other person. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And all those things you must not take for granted, but continue to work at. I agree with Abraham Lincoln. He once said that the best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. Just going to sit on that one powerful and he talks more about love and, and his kids you know the greatest word in the whole dictionary is love love your children listen to them share with them remember that love is the most powerful medicine in the world do not force them or drive them too hard set the example of what you want them to be try always to be a good model children are impatient they want to do right but maybe they don't know how maybe you haven't taught them how being a good example is a powerful teaching device this verse is accurate No written word nor spoken plea can teach our youth what they should be, nor all the books on all the shelves. It's what the teachers are themselves. Goes back to what Walton said, leading by example. No one worked harder than Wooden. No one was more meticulous, more detail-oriented, had more enthusiasm. So for the leaders out there, whether you're leading a family or a relationship or a company or a team, you got to lead by example, and that's something that, that Wooden, you know, 
when you think about the great coaches out there, Wooden, someone like Bill Belichick, they're putting in more time than anyone else. They're the ones that are sleeping in the office. They're the ones that are watching hours and hours of game tape. They don't expect someone to do something that they are not willing to do themselves. Now let's keep going on with the book. This is one of uh, my favorite stories from John Wooden. He calls it Details Create Success. I believe in the basics, attention to and perfection of tiny details that might commonly be overlooked. They may seem trivial, perhaps even laughable to those who don't understand, but they aren't. They are fundamental to your progress in basketball, business, and life. They are the difference between champions and near champions. For example, at the first meeting each season, held two weeks before our first actual practice, I personally demonstrated how I wanted players to put on their socks each and every time. Carefully roll the socks down over the toes, ball of the foot, arch, and around the heel. Then pull the sock up snug so there will be no wrinkles of any kind. I would watch as the players smooth the sock under and along the back of the heel. I wanted it done conscientiously, not quickly or casually. I wanted no folds, wrinkles, or creases of any kind on the sock. Then we'd proceed with the other sock. I would demonstrate for the players and have the players demonstrate for me. This, mu- this may seem like a nuisance, trivial, but I had a very practical reason for being meticulous about this. Wrinkles, folds, and creases can cause blisters. Blisters interfere with performance during practices and games. Since there was a way to reduce blisters, something the players and I could control, it was our responsibility to do it. Otherwise, we would not be doing everything possible to prepare in the best way. So he, he's focusing on what he can control here, right? He's not worrying about if someone sprains their ankle during the game. He's not worrying about if they miss the jump shot. He's worrying about what can we control. We can control the way we put on our socks, the way we tie our shoes, so that we don't get blisters and that doesn't cause any issues in the game later. Right? So think about what you're working on in your life. Are you focusing on things that you can control? Getting up a little earlier. Making the extra phone call. Running the extra mile. Eating healthy. Push the french fries aside. I'll have a salad on the side. Or are you focusing on things that you can't control? My coworker was, you know, really mean to me today. You know, oh, the ra- the weather's terrible. I can't go running outside. You know, oh, it's someone's birthday. You know, I can I I can cheat on, you know, the 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 strict diet that I have. Whatever it may be. Control what you can control and the rest falls into place. Wooden continues to talk about success. He says here are the eight suggestions that he has for succeeding. Number one, fear no opponent, but respect every opponent. Number two, remember it's the perfection of the smallest details that make big things happen. Three, keep in mind that hustle makes up for many a mistake. Four, be more interested in character than reputation. Five, be quick but don't hurry. Six, understand that the harder you work, the more luck you will have. Number seven, know that valid self-analysis is crucial for improvement. Eight, remember that there is no substitute for hard work and careful planning. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And, you know, one thing that you gotta, I got to bring back up is number four, be more interested in character than reputation. Character is who you are when no one's looking, when no one's around, when no one knows the consequences of, of your actions. Do you cheat the system? 
Do you take shortcuts? Do you kind of cut corners? Or do you do things the right way, treat people the right way, put in the work? Because that is, that's what separates. Reputation is what people think about you. Who gives a shit? Character is who you are. Are you a good person? That's what matters. Let's go back to the book here. <clears throat> Wooden says, Many years ago, a friend told me that the best thing a coach can do is always come close. As soon as you win it all, everyone expects it again. And when you don't win it all, you're considered a loser. If you just come close, everyone gets to say, hey, just wait till next year. Hopes stay high. Expectations don't become extreme. My friend meant it in a kidding way, but there's truth to his words. In 1974, we got to the Final Four once again and could have won our eighth national championship in a row. However, we lost to NC State, the eventual champions, in the semifinals 80-77 to in double overtime. Our championship streak was, was stopped at seven in a row. Twelve months later, we came back and won the national championship, our 10th overall by defeating Kentucky, 92-85 in the finals. As we stood waiting for the awards ceremony to begin, a longtime UCLA booster rushed up to my side, grabbed my arm, and said, We did it! We did it! You let us down coach, last year, Coach, but we got him this year. A few minutes earlier, we had won the national championship, and all he could think was to say that this was an improvement over how we let him down the previous year and only got into the semis? His comments didn't upset me. They actually amused me a little bit because they reflected what my friend had said about it when you win it all. The more successful you are, the higher and higher expectations become, the more suspicious people are of you, and the more criticism you receive. It goes back to focusing on the journey rather than the destination. I was just as satisfied with my efforts in the 14 years before we won a national championship as I was in the final 12 years when we captured 10 championships. In fact, and you may have trouble accepting this. I believe we were more successful in some years when we didn't win a championship than in some years when we did. That's Wooden's focus on the preparation and on focusing on the journey and, and you know being ready, playing up to your potential. And if you win, you win. And if you lose, you lose. He also says you are in the presence of a true competitor when, the, when you observe that he or she is indeed getting the most joy out of the most difficult circumstances. The real competitors love a tough situation. That's when they focus better and function better. At moments of maximum pressure, they want the ball. You begin to see as time goes by, not immediately, but gradually you see that real competitors relish the challenge. The bigger, the better. The more difficult the game, the more they improve. True competitors derive their greatest pleasure out of playing against the very best opponents, even though they may be outscored. The difficult challenge provides the rare opportunity to be their best. Often, great competitors don't quite have the physical skills of more gifted players, but they get more out of what they have at moments of great pressure. Thus, I base my judgment on not just what they had, but how they used it. To what extent did they attempt to bring forth their abilities? To what extent did they accomplish that under maximum pressure? This is how I identified competitors who had greatness within. And um, you know, I read, I, I read somewhere else from Pete Carroll's book, The Seattle Seahawks Coach, that you know, he focuses on competition. He's a huge fan of Wooden in this book. And you know, one thing that he points out is around competition. You should not be envious or angry or hate your opponent. If you have a rival, if you have a competitor, you should actually love them because they're helping you to become better. So that person that's right next to you making, making phone calls, trying to sell more than you, make more money than you, 
you know, your neighbor that's trying to make more money than you, the the guy or girl at the gym that's putting up more weight than you, um, you know, whatever it may be, don't get angry. Don't get jealous. You should thank them for pushing you to be better. As Jim Rohn once said, don't wish you were easy or wish you were better. Back to the book. I used to say to an individual player who was unhappy because he wanted more playing time, young man, tell yourself I will be prepared and then perhaps my chance will come. Because if it does come and I'm not ready, another chance may not come my way very soon again. The time to prepare isn't after you have been given the opportunity. It's long before that opportunity arises. Once the opportunity arrives, it's too late to prepare. There's an epic story of Tom Brady. Uh, If you watch the Brady Six documentary, it came out probably 10 years ago. And this is talking back before he was, you know, right after he got drafted, he wasn't in the limelight, fourth string quarterback on the Patriots. And he's at a wedding with his friend. His friend's telling the story. They're kind of tossing the football lightly around. And he's asking him, you know, you know, how it's going and stuff like that. And he starts, Brady starts throwing the ball harder, harder, harder. Like the guy's, you know, his hands are bleeding because Brady's throwing the ball so hard. He's getting fired up and he just says, hey, you know, once that opportunity, my opportunity is not coming yet, but once it comes, I'm going to be ready. And it was. When, when Drew Bledsoe got knocked out of the game, Brady took advantage. The rest is history. But if you start preparing for the role, preparing for your new gig, preparing for whatever life has for you next, once you're there, it's too late. You know, I'm in, I, I, I was able to get into a, a leadership position this year in my company. And I'm working my ass off to try to make it work. But I didn't start preparing for it when they offered me the job. I've been preparing for it for the last few years, reading about leadership, trying to connect with the best leaders that I know on this podcast and otherwise, meeting them for coffee, having a phone call, you know, sending them uh, you know, a book and hoping that they take a call and hoping that they talk to me. And I got a lot to learn. You know, I'm 0.1% of the way there. But I started preparing. I felt ready when I was in it that I was ready to give it a good effort and I want to continue to grow. So wherever you want to get to, start preparing for it now. As they say, you know, uh, dress for the job you want, not the job you've got. And, you know, that applies to maybe your outfit, but it also applies to the mindset that you have and the prep that you're doing and what you're thinking about and how you act and, and portray yourself. We've only got a few things left here. Wooden, back to the book, there was pressure as we approached tying or setting various records, but it was always the pressure I put on myself to get our team ready to play an opponent. That was the pressure, not an obsession with winning. The real pressure during the week was put on me by me to make absolutely sure I did everything I could to make sure our team was prepared properly. I like to think that by game time, my work was virtually done, that I could almost go up into the stands and watch the game without saying a word because my team was so well prepared. I wouldn't literally go into the stands, but I knew that if I did watch a team of mine from up there, I'd be able to tell by their effort and performance whether I had done my job in preparing them during the previous week. I was so comfortable before most games that I could take a nap if I wanted to. Thus, when UCLA was establishing records, I believed the rest of my family got more excited about it than I did. Though I was pleased with titles and championships, I mainly derived satisfaction from the preparation and knowing that I had done everything I could do to get the team ready. This is what pleased me most, regardless of what anyone else thought, be they alumni, public, or the media. As Pearl Mesta said, those that matter don't mind and those that mind don't matter. 
The praise or criticism you receive elsewhere doesn't matter. Those who know you, who really know you, that's what matters. Those who don't, doesn't matter. And I want to close it on Wooden's definition of success. I thought about what my father had said, Mr. Schindler's writing assignments on success and a verse I happened to read at this time. At God's footstool to confess, a poor soul knelt and bowed his head. I failed, he cried. The master said, thou did thy best, that is success. Keeping all these in mind, I finally coined my definition in 1934. Success is peace of mind that is the direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. Furthermore, only one person can judge you on the level of success. That's you. Think about that for a moment. I believe that is what true success is. Anything stemming from that success is simply a byproduct, whether it be the score, the trophy, a national championship, fame, or fortune. They are all byproducts of success rather than success itself. Indicators that you perhaps succeeded in the more important contest. The real contest, of course, is striving to reach your personal best, and that is totally under your control. When you achieve that, you've achieved success, period. You are a winner, and only you know if you won. Only you know. Only you know the effort you put in. If you're putting in the right time, if you're eating right, you're treating yourself right, you're treating your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids correctly, you're putting in the right hours at work, you're making the calls, you're doing your projects, reading the book, writing what you got to write. Only you know. The effort is between you and you. So when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, have that honest conversation with yourself. Did I put in the maximum effort to become the best that I can be? And if so, per John Wooden, you are successful. And everything else is a byproduct of that. And it's funny that once you start focusing more on yourself, doing the right things, focusing on what you can control, those other things start piling up. You start making more money. You start hitting your fitness goals. You start treating other people better and people treat you better. And you start living a more positive, fulfilled life by focusing on that. So we're going to close it on that. Thank you for listening. Let me know what you think. Try your hardest and focus on what you can control. Have a great day. Out.